Hi, welcome to Closer Look. I'm Billy Branham. Your next trip to the grocery store could cost you more or less. What causes our food prices to change? We'll talk to agriculture and food economist Joe Balactis in just a bit about why prices shift, what causes inflation, and what we can do to influence how much we pay to feed ourselves. Also joining me is CEO and blogger Jordan Page. She's a mother of eight. She'll share her hacks and tips to save us all money at the grocery store. Jordan, thank you so much for the time to talk today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And you know, we have a lot in common. We have very large families, which keeps us very, very busy. I know. I can't figure out if it keeps me young or if it's aging me quickly, but (laughs) either way, I'm in it. There's no turning back (laughs) now. With that being said, of course, we have to save money. Um, Everyone likes to save money. And with the cost of groceries, what's your number one tip to save at the store? You know, the economy is changing. Food prices are up really high. And personally, I think that we've been riding on this Pinterest wave for a while where we've kind of been in this habit of just like, I don't know, finding a recipe online, going to the store, buying the ingredients for that specific recipe. Maybe we end up making it, maybe we don't, but the rest of the ingredients rot in the back of our fridge and while we go to the store and pick up a different recipe the next time. So I would say that the number one tip right now is to do what I call shelf cooking, which basically means before you run to the store for groceries, open your fridge very first because that's the stuff that will go bad first and then open your freezer, go to your pantry, find what you have first already that you can use up? Do you have a little bit of mustard lingering in a bottle? Do you have half a thing of spinach kind of wilting in the back of your fridge? What do you have? And then plan your meals around that. And then when you go to the store, you can be more specific and you don't need to buy every single ingredient for the meal you want to make. You just kind of focus on supplementing to the ingredients you already have. So starting with what you have before going to the store for every little thing is my first general tip. Truthfully, I think that one of the biggest secrets of grocery shopping that people don't know, and this is verified. I've been on the Rachel Ray show five times and she and I talk about this every time I'm on there. The store brand items and name brand items are not that different. So if you go to the shelf and you grab a name brand can of black beans, you are going to be paying twice as much as the store brand black beans right next to it. But oftentimes they're packaged in the exact same facility. They just have a different label slapped on them at the end of the line. Focus on store brand items. Start cooking with what you have on hand first and save a ton of money at the store. You know, I can totally verify that the generic brands are the same as the name brands because I worked one time in college in a cheese factory and... I can tell you that the cheese never moved and we just changed the wrapping on it. So that is accurate in most cases. I think most people too, this is something that I go back to and fight with, think that couponing is kind of a thing of the past. Is it still a viable way to save money? Absolutely not. It's so funny because, so I started my blog, Fun Cheaper Free, back in, I don't even know, 2011-ish. It was kind of just a little family blog at first. And way back then, The only frugal living or finance bloggers were basically these super old guys that were rich, but taught you, you know, how to invest your money or how to do cash envelopes or whatever, or extreme couponers. And from the very beginning, I thought there has got to be more than this. Like I can't pay cash for my house. I don't know what a Roth IRA is. And I certainly don't want to spend six hours a week clipping coupons for Fritos and Hormel chili. I don't know. So that's where I learned really quickly that couponing 
was more putting a Band-Aid on a broken leg. It maybe will kind of slow the bleed a little bit, but ultimately you're focusing on the wrong pain point. And one of those little stickies, like on the outside of a package at a store where you get to save 50 cents on your next package, or if you happen to get a great little coupon in the mail, absolutely use it. But in terms of couponing in general, it's a thing of the past. The best way to save money just generally is focus on what's on season and focus on the lost leaders at stores. Stores like Walmart that don't really run sales, they just have their set pricing. That's a good store just to generally save money at. But if you have a local store, they do run sales. So what I'll do is on Sunday when I'm kind of planning my meals for the week, making my grocery list, I will go look at their ads. That is that is a thing and that is a good thing. You know, whether you get them in the mail or whether you just glance online or a lot of stores have apps anymore, which is very techie and very cool. You can just glance really quick. And oftentimes they will choose a few items that they could potentially lose money on to buy other things that are more expensive. So if you really play their game, look at the ad, look at what's on sale and really focus your grocery shopping around those items. You can get a good amount of food for a good price, but you need to go and let the food tell you what to make. This is Closer Look. I'm Billy Branham. I'm talking with Jordan Page, CEO, mother of eight, and she's going to share all of her wonderful tips on saving us money at the grocery store. Are there other ways to get food besides your neighborhood store that might save on the cost of food? Yes. You know, buying bulk is always something that when you can afford it, you should consider it. So for example, my husband and I, we recently bought half of a cow, not a a literal like living cow, but half of a cow that has been processed and we bought that meat from a butcher and it ended up saving us so much money because it was this beautiful, organic, grass-fed meat. But because we bought a whole freezer full, we had to invest $150 in a freezer that we now just keep in our garage. But we, every year or every other year, we buy half a cow and it's a ton of meat. But we're a family of 10 and we go through it in a year. So buying bulk is great, including big box stores like Sam's Club or Costco. Places like that can save you a ton of money in buying larger packages of items, especially consumables like laundry detergent or toilet paper, paper towels, things like that. But you also have to be careful because sometimes just because it's a bigger package doesn't always make it the best price. So you always have to learn to look at the label. A lot of people don't know this, but every label by law has to show you price per ounce or price per unit. That's how you should compare your pricing at any store, including a big box store. Is it, you know, maybe the overall price is $1 less than this other item that's $18 and you're looking at $70. But if you glance at the label and look at the price per unit, potentially that $17 item has 10 less of whatever it is than than the more expensive item. And so thus it, it actually makes it more expensive per unit. So you should definitely learn your prices, buy bulk, but make sure it's actually saving you money. And focus on that price per ounce. Yeah, price per unit, price per ounce, price per pound, price per can. That's really how you know what the value that you're getting is. Now, tips for maybe small families or just couples versus large families. I think the number one thing for singles or couples or empty nesters to learn how to read a recipe and get creative with your leftovers. I think most Americans end up wasting most of their leftovers, whether it's individual ingredients or actual leftover meal. But let's say there's two people in a family. To learn to read a recipe and learn how to half a recipe, because most recipes on average would feed probably four people, sometimes four to six. 
So to learn how to half that recipe or to learn how to cook intuitively, you know, kind of whip up your own meal without needing a recipe using what you have on hand and just making small portions of it. But there are so many ways you can repurpose leftovers. So let's say I make teriyaki chicken and rice on a Sunday. And I have so many leftovers because the recipe was for four people and there's only two of us. Well, take that rice and instead of letting it go bad in your fridge or throwing it out because you don't want to eat it again, turn it into stir fry. Maybe you add some soy sauce and you fry it up with some veggies and make it a completely new meal using ingredients that you've already cooked. You can even cut up that teriyaki chicken and put that in the stir fry as well. Or you maybe freeze the chicken and pull it out another time to put into a casserole or a soup. So I think it all comes down to not wasting any drop of any ingredient or anything that you cook. Food waste, that's a big no-no in our house. But also, we have to get creative when it comes to, we have leftovers, but it will only feed two to three people. So we need to use those ingredients to feed everyone. How do we do that? Yeah, kind of the reverse problem. What I teach is to make your protein the sidekick, not the hero. The way to stretch and make affordable meals for a crowd, for a large family, for whatever, fill in the blank, and grill one chicken breast per person, you're going to be spending 50 bucks or more every time you cook a meal for your family. It would be cheaper to go eat out, frankly. What you need to do is instead of giving someone an entire chicken breast on their plate, maybe you go back to the meals I was talking about before, like you make a beautiful stir fry. Maybe you make a casserole that kind of stretches that same package of chicken. But you fill it with yummy things like vegetables and rice and potatoes. Maybe you put it on a really hearty salad. You stretch it instead of giving everyone a slab of steak, which of course you can do that once in a while. Why not on a special Sunday or a special occasion? But otherwise, take that steak, cut it up, make fajitas with lots of veggies and tortillas and rice and things that fill you up. They have a variety of nutrients and ingredients, but it cuts down on your cost exponentially. When in doubt, make a soup. Soup, soup and grilled cheese. We do that often. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But cheese is a luxury. We like love grilled cheese in our house. I'm Billy Branham. This is Closer Look. I'm talking with Jordan Page, a mother of eight, a CEO. She pretty much does it all. She's sharing her hacks on how to save us money at the grocery store. What do you then, Jordan, get asked most about grocery bills? My number one question right now is my recommended budget has been for a decade that I've been teaching online and in person, $100 per person in your family per month. So basically with a family of five, that would be $500 a month. For a family of four, it's 400 a month. For a family of 10, that's 1,000 a month. Easy math, right? Well, what happens with inflation? You know, people ask me, do I raise my budget to match inflation? Do I raise my budget 14%? Do I raise my budget 10%? And my answer is no, I really don't think you need to. Now, of course, if my $100 per person per month doesn't work for someone who lives in San Francisco or Hawaii because it's just a higher cost of living, sure, you can, you can increase your budget a little bit per person. But I challenge anyone listening to focus on what you're cooking and what you're wasting. That's where your budget goes. It doesn't get lost at the grocery store. It gets lost in what you do with it. So right now they say, okay, with inflation, what do I do with my budget? And I say, try to keep your budget. Maybe just try to cook more responsibly. Try to waste less. Try to stretch your meals a little more. But of course, if that doesn't work, even if you increase your budget 10%, 10% of $100 is, is $10. So you would only increase it $10 per person per month. And maybe that's enough for you to not be stretching so hard at the grocery store. What other tips can you share that could save us money? 
one of the lost arts in families today is the art of meal planning. Very, very few people really sit down and plan out their meals. A lot of times you just kind of open your fridge and see all this stuff and you're like, I have nothing, I don't know what to do. And you go grab a pizza or you just print out recipes kind of at random from the internet or whatever your friend is cooking and you make that. But to save so much time and money, if you were to take 15 minutes on a Sunday or a Monday or whatever day works for you and just look at what you have and really plan out your meals and plan to use your leftovers and also plan in eating out because YOLO, life is too short to never eat out, right? So plan it so that you're not tempted on impulse to go eat out or get takeout all the time. And I think that is probably just generally one of the top things that could save people the most money. And when you plan your meal, consider those leftovers. Okay, so we make that chicken or that steak the first night. The second night, let's turn it into a fajitas or make it into a soup or a casserole. And then the third night, let's reuse this flour. I bought flour for the recipe on Sunday. So let's reuse that on Wednesday and really kind of get clever with not letting any drop waste. But I, I do believe that if anyone takes the time and wants to do it yourself, that it really isn't too hard and it would save you so much money. Yeah, Jordan, one last question. How can you save money and still eat healthy? Yes, I will go toe-to-toe with anyone that says, I can't follow a budget, dietary restrictions or allergies in my house, or we only eat green, clean, organic, so we can't stick to that tight budget or stick to a budget in general. And I would definitely jump into the ring with them and say, try me, you know, because it is absolutely possible For one, how many people really have a garden? Even if it's just a little tomato plant or some herbs, you know, there are ways to supplement your ingredients in an affordable way. So I challenge everybody to just build a little garden box, grow a garden, grow some tomatoes, grow some lettuce, grow some things that you consume regularly and you basically go grocery shopping in your own yard or your own windowsill, which is great. For those who really want to eat healthy, focus on the produce that's on sale, that's in season, uh, whether it's on sale or not, that's in season. Also, when it comes to eating organic, unfortunately in our country, organic foods are very, very expensive. And, you know, anyone who's learned to kind of read the labels and read into things that say clean or green or whatever, unless it has that certified organic symbol, you know, you really have to be careful and read the label, but perhaps pick and choose like with produce, for example, maybe you say, okay, we're going to try to eat as organic as possible, but we're on a really tight budget. So I challenge you to go online and read, I believe they call it the dirty dozen, that there's 12 fruits or veggies that if you were to only buy organic with any 12 fruits or veggies, you should buy these particular things like strawberries that are very porous. However, bananas have a really thick peel on the outside. So when you kind of read the research, arguably, it doesn't make that much of a difference whether it's organic or not because it has that protective barrier on the outside. So perhaps you say, okay, I don't need to buy organic fill in the blank, organic, you know, goldfish crackers or organic whatever, that I will instead kind of focus on some general organic ingredients and learn how to cook foods from scratch myself, I'll grow some myself, or I will really focus on those that pesticides really do make the most difference. And then in terms of eating healthy, just focus on those produce items that are affordable, buy big packages of them when they're a good price, freeze them, find ways to preserve them, can them, you know, so you can use them all year long even when they're not in season anymore and they tend to be more expensive. 
Jordan, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your saving tips. Thank you for having me. I absolutely love you guys. So thank you so much. This is Closer Look. I'm Billy Branham. We're going to shift now just a little bit to talk about what causes inflation and if we can do anything to influence the cost of our food. Agriculture and food economist Joe Balactis is joining us. Joe, thank you so much for the time to talk today about this very important topic. Thank you, Billy. It's it's good to be with you. Inflation. It's a natural part of our economy. Yeah. But can you explain it in the simplest way? What exactly is inflation? So inflation uh, is a rise in the prices of goods and services in an economy, housing, transportation, apparel, medical care, recreation, education, food and beverages, etc. Inflation is a measure of the rise in the prices of all those things. Probably the most common measure of inflation hinges on the Consumer Price Index. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics collects that data. And when prices are rising, the cost of living rises, and that affects all of us consumers. What factors then go into causing inflation? Overall, inflation slowed at the beginning of the pandemic as as we entered a, a recession. You fast forward to early 2021 and things are looking quite different. And we're learning to live with COVID, right? And and importantly, consumers' demand for goods after that initial drop in spring 2020 had recovered and remained above trend. So people were were buying more stuff than they were even before the pandemic. And so that's put up rising pressure on the prices and increased inflation. So what's contributed to that inflation? You could uh, start with government policy. March 2020, did a couple things uh, to bolster the economy. It lowered interest rates, made it easier for people to borrow money, increased the demand for goods and services in the economy as people try to spend that money. Uh, And then the government also used fiscal policy. 2020, uh, the government passed the CARES Act that was under uh, the Trump administration that put $2.2 trillion into the economy in the hands of individuals like me and you and firms to get them to spend money to keep the economy going. In 2021, the Biden administration passed the American Rescue Plan, another almost $2 trillion, again, to get firms and individuals in the country to spend money, right? And so we've got more money sloshing around the economy, people trying to buy goods and services, um, and that put upward pressure on prices of the things we buy. For groceries, how does that correlate? Right. So, yeah, I think a tight labor market and higher wages is a big part of of what we're seeing in higher food prices, right? Labor along the food supply chain, if you're using USDA's data, accounts for something like half of the cost of our food. So rising wages is going to increase prices of the food that we purchase because the cost of delivering those goods to us in the grocery store and restaurants is rising. And as employers struggle to hire workers, we see wages rising, especially low-wage jobs. And, And that's a good thing for workers, but higher wages also means cost of doing business and the cost of goods and services is going to rise. And then on top of all of that, we also had supply chain disruptions. Summer of 2020, we had meatpacking plants whose workers were getting sick with COVID or afraid of getting sick with COVID. They were shutting down or slowing down production, less meat production, uh, harder to find meat in the grocery stores, and, and, and prices were rising. Right, So all of these things combined to put upward pressure on prices. There are a couple other factors particularly affect food and agriculture. We have higher farm input costs 
especially for fertilizer, but also fuel, higher prices of food ingredients, right, and higher prices of food. And then, of course, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has created uncertainty around the production and export of wheat and corn and barley and sunflower oil, for which those Ukraine and Russia are, are major producers and exporters. And, and that affects, because the markets for those things are global, that affects prices all around the world. Does where we live impact what we pay? Oh, absolutely, right? So, so prices differ across time, that's inflation, right? But also across geographic space, right? Different prices across different locations could reflect different state and local taxes. Food, for example, is not taxed in some states. Groceries are not taxed in some states. But they could also reflect differences in real estate or wage costs for firms, differences potentially in competition across stores. So, yeah, you know, anyone who's driven for summer vacation has noticed gasoline prices could differ. You could see similar things, although perhaps not as dramatic for, for food. How much control then do stores have on the cost of food? You know, grocery store profit margins are estimated to be something like 1% to 3%. That's pretty low. Fast food restaurants have higher margins, but still not near double-digit profits of other retail. There's been some attention to the fact that food retail sector is concentrated and a suspicion that maybe a lack of competition has something to do with higher food prices. But I think the important thing to remember here is that the competitive environment in food retail, right, the number of grocery stores, uh, the number of food manufacturers hasn't really changed in the last couple of years, right? So if we're looking to explain the big increase in food prices over these last couple of years, you'd have to look at these other factors that we've discussed, the global pandemic, government policy, tight labor market, supply chain disruptions, et cetera, right? Um, I'm open to the idea that maybe competition plays some role but it's not really where I'd start looking if I'm trying to understand or explain higher food prices. This is Closer Look. I'm Billy Branham talking with Joe Belagtis, an agriculture and food economist, about the cost of our food at the grocery store. What can we as consumers then do to affect the cost of food? I'm thinking like panic buying or loading up on things that we just don't need right now. Yeah, I think sort of consumers naturally economize when prices change. I think individually it makes sense to, to load up on things when you think prices are low. And so I, I'd be hesitant to tell people not to buy when prices are low. And, and sometimes people think of that as panic buying. But sometimes, you know, under the right circumstances, panic buy could be prudent. I think in general, consumers naturally economize when prices rise, maybe reduce purchases of luxury items, restaurant meals, right? Maybe abstain when prices rise, but there's, you can only do that to a certain extent when we're talking about food, right? People have to eat. We as consumers, though, have no control then, even if everyone is going out there and, and spending all their money on meat because we haven't seen meat for a while, or, you know, the cost of vegetables is up, so everyone stocks up on vegetables. We don't have any kind of control as to what the stores are pricing those? Yeah, I think individual consumers typically do not, right? So that we're small pieces of the puzzle, right? And, but we do respond, right? So if everybody is trying to purchase meat or toilet paper and the price of those things rise or those things become scarce on grocery store shelves, 
then consumers respond, right, and, and look to other items that are available or lower priced, right? So I, I think by looking out for your own budget, sort of the best that an individual household could be asked to do. Other than the way that we buy our products in grocery stores, is there any way we can, outside of that, influence the cost of our food? Yeah, sort of picking where you purchase, but also sort of choose across brands, choose across stores, choose across items, um, and take advantage of the, of the fact that grocery stores, food manufacturers, restaurants are competing for our business. Again, this is harder to do for households whose resources are already constrained to ask them to take time to look for bargains. But that's the challenge ahead of us. This is Closer Look. I'm Billy Branham talking to Joe Belagtis about how we can possibly save money at the grocery store. If we join our local grocery store like Food Club or something like that, is it really that beneficial then to stay loyal to one store? If what you're saying then it's better for us to kind of buy across different stores? I think store loyalty is one way to think about store loyalty is sort of captive demand, right? From the store's perspective, right? And so I, I like to shop across stores. I think it makes sense to, to price compare across stores or within a store across brands to make sure that you're getting the best deal that you could get. We have a very large family. And so we'll make two or three stops at the grocery store whenever we go out. And that's because we have price compared. Are there any other ways that we can maybe influence and say, hey, we're getting our, you know, all of our produce from here. So the other stores kind of see, well, more people are getting their produce at this one store. Our prices are higher. Is that the way then that we can maybe influence the cost of our food? Yeah, I think, you know, sort of making more trips makes a lot of sense because as you make more trips or or compare across more stores, you you get a better idea of who's charging what. Along those lines, you know, grocery stores are what we economists call multi-product sellers. They don't just sell bread or meat or fruit and vegetables. They sell all of these things. And what stores will do is they might try to draw you into the store by offering low prices for particular items. So you could potentially, if you have the time, and again, this is harder for families that are already resource constrained, time constrained. If you have the time, you could go across all the stores and buy the things that are on sale at all those stores. And that's one way to do your shopping in a way that that stretches your budget a little bit. And Joe, are there ways to predict which foods might in the future cost more for us? Yeah, uh, individual food items is tough, but what we do have are futures markets for agricultural commodities. And those futures markets give us good forecasts. Uh, And the good news for consumers is that futures prices for things like wheat, corn, and soybeans have fallen substantially. So that means the goods that are produced with wheat, bread, and pasta, prices of those goods over time ought to start to come down or inflation for those goods ought to slow. Or the pork and beef and eggs and milk that we produce with corn and soybeans also hopefully will come down. Similarly, futures prices for crude oil, gasoline, input costs for all firms, energy costs for all firms will decline as energy prices fall and and that'll benefit all of us consumers. And there is then a link between what we pay for our groceries and other items as well, yeah? Well, certainly. So in two ways. One, other items like gasoline or natural gas or oil, energy, 
if that's expensive, that makes producing our food more expensive and our food prices rise. But also, our food budget doesn't live in an island by itself, right? What we don't spend on gasoline can be spent on food. And so when gasoline prices are $5 a gallon and you have to commute to work anyway, spending more on gasoline, that's less money that we have to spend on other things, including food, right? And so that's in part why inflation, general inflation, not just food prices, is important. When the cost of living rises... That squeezes everything, that squeezes our budget for everything. And there's only so much you could do on the food end because we have to eat to economize, right? And and so general inflation is a, a big issue for households, in particular, low-income households who are already food insecure. Thank you so much, Joe, for the time and for your expertise. I hope I, I've been helpful for you. Happy to follow up and talk to you anytime. Thanks again to both of my guests, Joe Balagtis and Jordan Page. For Closer Look, I'm Billy Branham.